It is Wednesday, March the 29th, 2023. And if you are listening on the day that this is released, well, there's only one more sleep until opening day. Welcome to episode 82 of Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. It's pitching discussions every single week with the five-time World Series champ, David Cohn, the ace researcher, James Smythe, and myself, Justin Shackle. Producer Dan Rourke with us as well. And this is uh, this is our 2023 season pitching preview episode. The season begins on Thursday, opening day, ready to roll here in 2023. Let's get it on. David, James, how we doing, fellas? Ready to go. Yes, let's bring it on. Gonna be a little chilly in the Bronx tomorrow. You know, a little windy, below 50 degrees, but should get some sunshine, shun, uh, sunshine so it should be decent. I'm great. We are recording this on Wednesday morning at this time. Tomorrow, I'll be at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, we'll be in a ballpark, selling all the smells, seeing all the great sights, and uh, probably with, like like David said, it's going to be sunny but but chilly, so we'll have our, our jackets on. Um, lots to get to as we approach opening day league-wide, but let's start with the opener, like we always do. We'll get right into it. David, what do you have for us opening up this week's episode? Two things. One is Yogi. The Yogi documentary is out. It ain't over. It's great. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, it's it's Yogi Berra. I mean, after, you're going to laugh. It's it, it, You just never get tired of hearing about Yogi Berra. Just one of the great characters of all time. Supersedes baseball even. I mean, people know Yogi Berra. Don't even know anything about baseball, but they know Yogi Berra. So that, that's how important he was in Americana history. And then secondly, with regards to baseball and all the rules changes, you know, we tend to talk about the pitch timer. The, Apparently, Major League Baseball prefers pitch timer over pitch clock, as if that's a big deal or not. So, the pitch timers the, the, the have to nut- make a note of that here. Yes, the pitch timer. Yes. Um, so, yes, we know the van of the shift. Left-handed batters are in vogue. Is there going to be more stolen bases? We've covered this a lot in spring training, but I still think what's flown under the radar is the actual schedule itself. It's more of a balanced schedule this year. Uh, it deserves more attention than it's getting. I think overall, maybe the impact. I don't know. I think the Yankees will benefit from that. You know, you're not playing 19 times against Baltimore and Tampa and the Red Sox and and the Blue Jays within your division as much. You're going to spread that out over over the course of everybody. But I think the the representative example of that is the Giants. Opening day, you got the San Francisco Giants in the Bronx. It's a great matchup. Good for fans all over baseball. Good to see Aaron Judge. Every fan base is going to have a chance to see the Yankees uh, who travel well. Uh, but the balanced schedule, more of a balanced schedule this year, I think, is a big deal. It's going to impact the game. I think Central Divisions may suffer just a bit. Well, well, it remains to be seen. It may be negligible at the end of the day. But it's really interesting that the scheduling changes for me are really interesting. I think it's part of a precursor to more change in the future that we're going to see for Major League Baseball uh, in terms of schedules, realignment, potential expansion. This is the first step is a sort of a more balanced schedule. I love the more balanced schedule. And I think it's really going to manifest itself longer term where fans are going to see the big stars more often. And it's okay if, you know, if, if one team is playing in, in one ballpark one year, don't worry, they're coming back this year. So if everyone's facing the angels this year, but only half are, of the interleague games are going to be against are going to be at home against Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. But then next year they switch on and off. So every other year, you're seeing everybody at your ballpark. I love the the access to the stars. I, I love that. 
focal point with, with interleague play. It's a reason why I was able to see Barry Bonds at Yankee Stadium growing up. It's, you know, a matchup that doesn't come around often. So you're going to see more stars more often. And I think it adds a lot of emphasis to the games that you do have against some of your usual opponents. Just take the AL East, for example, Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays figures to be a very tight division, that division or the NL East, maybe the tightest divisions. Well, the games that you do have against Toronto or Tampa Bay, if you are the Yankees, for example, those are going to mean more. They're going to carry more weight. There's going to be extra punch there. And look, just uh, just glancing at the schedule here, first meeting for the Yankees, either against the Rays or the Blue Jays, doesn't come until May the 5th. So there's a, a little bit of time for some of their pitching injuries to uh, right themselves and, and get a little bit more healthy before they play those very important games. I think that leads us into one of our first topics here. Uh, guys, there are three mainstays atop the league's list of, of championship contenders, you know, probably all within the top five to seven teams if you wanted to rank squads around Major League Baseball. I'm talking about the Braves, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. They are all starting the season with makeshift rotations to varying degrees here. I'm wondering, which team's starting five to open the season are you most bullish on? And I could give you the rundown here. The Yankees are going to have a different rotation than they thought they were heading into spring training. Garrett Cole at the top, Clark Schmidt, Johnny Brito, and then Nestor Cortez and Domingo Herman. The Dodgers with Clayton Kershaw, Julio Arias, Noah Syndergaard, Dustin May, and, and Ryan Pepio, who won that fifth starter's job. And for the Braves, Max Fried, Spencer Strider, Jared Schuster, Charlie Morton and Dylan Dodd. So which starting five are you most bullish on to open the season? Well, I'd like to expand that a little bit. You know, certainly the starting five is important, but I think the reserves in depth, the best starting eight, I'll give to the Dodgers. And I mentioned this before because of who they have in waiting. Bobby Biller and Gavin Stone are two pitchers in waiting that are ready for the big leagues right now. I still think that the Dodgers and Kershaw and Urias – I think uh, Dustin May coming back that a lot of people are really excited about electric stuff. I think Syndergaard's going to benefit from being on the Dodgers in a further year removed from, from his uh, Tommy John surgery. Gonsolin's on the way back too injured, but I look at those two young frontline starters in waiting and they have unbelievable stuff when, when, you know, and the guys I mentioned before in terms of Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone are probably two of the best young pitching prospects that are ready for the big leagues right now that are not in their rotation that will be before the year's over or the next available spot. So I say the Dodgers. I'm leaning towards the Braves just because it's a little more top heavy. Uh, Max Fried and Spencer Strider is probably the best one to punch out of this whole group. Uh, Jared Schuster turned some heads this spring. Uh, I do find them. Uh, I'll, t I'll take them in this, but I don't want to sleep on the Yankees either because for all the gloom and doom in Yankee land around the pitching injuries, or hopefully shorter term. And Clark Schmidt, I really like this year. Same here. I'm a, I'm a big believer in Clark Schmidt having a breakout season, but I'm going to go with the Braves as well. The, the thing that has me, I guess, wanting to watch the Braves rotation is that, yeah, it's not at full strength, but you could potentially see that the pitchers who are filling the rotation right now be the guys that are there at the end or maybe at the start of, of the postseason. Um, you have you have Jared Schuster, former first round pick, 
Dodds a third round pick. The replacements they have for some of their injured players like Kyle Wright, and I, I'm assuming they're waiting for Mike Soroka to build himself up at, at full strength as he makes a long-awaited comeback. Like it, it feels like this is just another crop of talented young arms that are, are being cycled through. We saw what happened with Spencer Strider, took a spot, broke out in a big way as a rookie. I can foresee guys like Schuster and Dodd being there at the end the entire way. Who knows? They may never leave the rotation. So that's why I'm most intrigued with uh, with the Braves rotation. This is something that we didn't cover in in past week's episode, and I'm wondering, because he is a name that people know here. Uh, Ian Anderson was sent to AAA during spring training for the Braves. you think he can, um, I guess, recapture some of that promise that we saw a couple of years ago with Atlanta, or is he maybe a prime example of a guy who could use a change of scenery? It's an interesting point. You know, we've talked here uh, on our podcast about the, you know, the sort of the three different ways to get hitters out pitching you know, philosophies. You know, there's east and west, paint, corners, north and south, riding action up above the zone, up the ladder. And then there's sort of front to back. And the Ian Anderson is a front to back pitcher, kind of a fastball changeup guy, a, a timing disruptor, so to speak. The problem is, is that when you lose a little on the top end, and then the changeup get you know, the the margin between the fastball and the changeup kind of closes a little bit, and then then therefore the potential to lose a little effectiveness because of that front to back style of pitching that he is kind of loses a little bit. So he needs to make the adjustment in AAA and maybe you know come up with the you know a cutter, a third pitch, something a little better that complements that front to back style, maybe the east and west style of pitching where he can. Uh, you know, I mean, find a way to, to incorporate that into his game can be a big influence on him and help him get to back to the big leagues because his changeup is great. His, his front to back style is great when it's on, but when it's off, it's kind of an all or nothing. When it's off, it's it becomes a problem. Never want to say it's it's too late. He's still only 24. And this was a kid who had a fantastic run in his first two seasons, 2020 and 2021. 30 starts across the two seasons with a 3-2-5 ERA, and he was great in the postseason both years, uh, 20 and 21. A 1-2-6 ERA in eight playoff games. That just can't fly out the window all of a sudden, can it? I don't think so, um, but we'll, we'll see what he's able to do at AAA. Opening day matchups, they were all released last week. Uh, we'll probably, uh, off the top of my head, obviously see Max Fried starting for the Braves on opening day, but which pitching matchups do you think is the juiciest on opening day guys? I'm going to go last because I have six of them circled. So I'll just take whichever ones you don't. <laughs> yes. Well, old bull and the young bull, the old bull and the young bull is the best matchup in my mind. That is Sandy versus Max. I mean, and Max has been great spring training, punched out 11 guys. I mean, he just shows, no signs of slowing down at all. So it's Max Scherzer against Sandy Alcantara. And uh, it's, you know, to me, that is you know, two horses. You know, San Sandy's also going to be my pick for another award at the end of the year, probably later on in this broadcast. I love Sandy. <laughs> he's just, uh, he's, he is the a young bull that's just ready to just take it to the next level. Innings eater. Max is Max. He's a Hall of Famer in waiting. So Max versus Sandy. All right, let me prefix that by saying that was my my most juiciest pitching matchup for sure. <laughs> but um, I also think 
that you have a great late night matchup in the Pacific Northwest, Framber Valdez against Dylan Cease. Those are two pitchers who finished in the top five in Cy Young voting last year. I think both are going to build off their impressive 2022 seasons. Cease, strikeout machine. Uh, he's facing a, a tough lineup right out of the shoe, even without Jose Altuve. Give me Valdez and Cease. Uh, that game is actually happening in Houston, so they're opening in Houston. So uh, not as late as we think, but uh, still a, a night game, Valdez and Cease. That's my pick. All right, so uh, this is a pretty good third pick in my book. Uh, Four o'clock, Phillies Rangers, Aaron Nola against Jacob deGrom, two of the best pitchers in baseball. And you got the extra juice of Jacob deGrom making his Rangers debut. So many great games on tap for Thursday. You could just just turn on the game at one o'clock with Giants, Yankees, Logan Webb and Garrett Cole and go all the way past midnight on the East Coast. Webb and Cole. Nola DeGrom, Max and Sandy as, as Coney brought up. Shaq, you got Cecil Valdez at 7 o'clock. Then two games out west that I have my eye on. Diamondbacks Dodgers, Zach Gallen against Julio Arias, and Cleveland Seattle, Shane Bieber and Luis Castillo. Those are six that I, I had circled. And then that's not even counting games where Max Fried is going to pitch. Corbin Burns is going to pitch. Shane McClanahan, Alec Manoa, and oh yeah, Shohei Otani. Opening day is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I think I said Seattle earlier because I was looking at my my um my alternate pick there, and I definitely had the the Mariners Guardians matchup with with Castillo and Bieber. But um, this is why I think opening day people will say don't make such a big deal out of rosters or what the lineup looks like on opening day. For if you're a big fan of pitching, this is one of the best days of the season because you have uh, you have Goliath versus Goliath in almost every matchup. You have Ace versus Ace squaring off. So this is a very very exciting day. If you are pitching fanatics for sure. Um, we for the saw... pitchers too, by the way, excuse me, Shaq, for the pitchers too. I mean, what an honor to be the opening day pitcher. Very true. My memories, plus all the fanfare, everybody comes back, all the former players. I remember opening up again for the Mets against the Cardinals and looking over the Cardinals dugout and Bob Gibson staring at me, you know, eyeing me up and down. I mean, that kind of feeling is just that you just never, it stays with you forever. You never forget that opening day feeling because everybody's there. You know, a couple nights later, it's you know, it's it's a it's it's a night game, and half the fans are there. It's it's not the same, but opening day, nothing like it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't think we're going to see so much heat being thrown uh, with the first game of the season. Everyone probably still trying to build themselves back up, but you never know. But it leads me to the next question here. We saw Twins reliever Johan Duran throw five of the fastest pitches in 2022, and that included the fastest at 103.2 miles an hour last season. Are you taking Johan Duran or the field for the fastest pitch thrown in 2023? Wow, well, you know, it's, it's that's actually a, pr- a pretty good handicap right there. Pretty good question. I'm gonna take the field, I think, on that one, even though it, it's closer than you think. Uh, you know, you just go to St. Louis. They have two guys there, Jordan Hicks and Ryan Helsley, that 
that, uh, you know, that can easily do that. Andres Munoz in Seattle, among other young kids coming up. We saw a couple of them in the WBC that, that certainly could do it. Uh, just uh, the, for perspective here, and I know James would be into this, there were 56 pitchers last year with a minimum of, of 10 appearances that averaged 97 miles an hour plus or higher on their fastballs, 56 98 plus 25 pitchers last year. That includes relievers and starters. 99 plus, there were nine pitchers last year, almost 10. One was uh, just under, uh, uh, you know, 90, I think 98.9, 99 miles an hour or more. Nine pitchers average. That was their average fastball last year. And 100 miles an hour or plus, there were three, three pitchers that uh, that average, their average was was that high or, or better. Wow. And, you know, I, I love Yohan Duran. And that's a great question, Shaq. I'm going to take the field just to just to highlight some of these other guys. Coney mentioned the two guys in St. Louis. I love Camilo du, uh, Duvall in San Francisco. Andres Munoz, I think, is, is my pick in Seattle. Coney, you brought him up before. But the the heat in this game is is off the charts, and it's going higher every year. And you wonder why strikeouts keep going up every year for the last decade plus. Um, if you compare fastball velocity from 2008, to today, there are over about two and a half times as many pitchers averaging 93. There's more than triple the amount of pitchers averaging 95. And there's six or seven times as many pitchers averaging 97 plus. So that the, when we look back, you know, there's the dead ball era and, and all these things throughout the history of the game as there's ebbs and flows. This early 2000s as we get into the middle part of the century, we'll go down as the velocity era to me. And because of that, James, I think more are on the way. And that's why I'm going to be taking the field. Because if you think about this time last year, pitchers like Duran, pitchers like Helsey, largely were not on the radars of, of everyone in baseball. So I think there's always going to be another name that comes into this space. So I'm taking the field. Not too many people knew who, Johan Duran even was last year. So the likelihood of another hard-throwing reliever, whether it's, again, someone we know or not, could just as easily take this crown uh, next season. I'm going with the field as well. Clean sweep right there. Um, how about we do this? Surprise pitching staff for 2023. So that encompasses rotation, bullpen, maybe not the best uh, pitching staff, but what's a staff that may open up some eyes? Well, they, yeah, there's one that's rebuilt, and, and and James brought this up, a great opening day matchup. You're going to see De Jacob DeGrom make his debut. But when you look at Texas, and it's everybody's pick to kind of bounce back. You know, they underachieved last year. The run prevention, run scored. The record should have been better. If you look at Pythagorean theorem and things like that, DeGrom, Evaldi, Perez, um, you know, Heaney as your, as your fifth starter too. Now to me, it, it goes deeper. You guys have heard me say this. I look at the top 10 starters in it, in any, any organization, Texas could hinge. The Rangers could hinge on a couple of recent draft picks. Our buddy, Al Leiter's son, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, two of the best pitchers in college a couple of years ago at Vanderbilt are in their minor league system developing the, I don't know if they're ready just yet, but how they develop this year could be really important for the future of the Rangers and their rotation. And, and actually there's one guy, they have a prospect that's ahead of those two guys. Owen white might be the, the first one called up in terms of, of the next in line. So they have three really frontline starter stuffed prospects that 
are going to go a long way this year, depending on how they perform in the minor leagues and how soon they can get to the big leagues. So my underrated staff, the rebuilt Texas Rangers with those three number, with those three top prospects in, in waiting. All right. And Brock Burke is fantastic in their bullpen and they added Will Smith too. So not just the rotation ads, they also bolstered the bullpen a little bit there too. I'm going with the San Francisco giants. They lose Carlos Rodon, but you still have Logan Webb, an ace, Alex Cobb, maybe flew under the radar because the giants were a 500 team. He had his best season since 2017. I like the additions of Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling. The Farhan Zaidi Giants have this, you know, reclamation project thing going on. Kevin Gosman, Drew Pomerantz, Alex Wood, Cobb now. So maybe they have a bit of a bounce back too. And then you go into the bullpen. You have the identical twins. Taylor and Tyler <laughs> Rogers are reunited. Mentioned Do- Doval uh, earlier in the show. And uh, I-, I think the Giants, and they're in a great pitcher's park too. So that helps. Yeah, I expect the Giants to make a little bit more noise than they did uh, last year. Kind of an in-between season between what we saw in 2021 and and 2022. Pitching is going to play a large part there. Uh, Let me emphasize this. My pick is a staff that may not light the world on fire and lead to wins for their team, but I think they have the potential to surprise by the way they they grow and improve. And if I'm right, I'm going to look kind of smart. So I am going to take the Washington Nationals as my surprise pitching staff. You have a lot of young promising arms in the starting staff, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Kate Cavalli. They're they're kind of all learning to pitch and, and have learned some hard pitching lessons at the big league level, wondering if they can take those experiences, start to run with them a little bit. If they do, I think that puts the Nationals uh, in, in a spot where they have a nice pitching foundation. Uh, Trevor Williams, who we saw move back and forth with the Mets between the bullpen and the rotation last year, he signed a two-year deal to be a starter in Washington. Kind of want to see how he performs with a, a normal routine, not bouncing back and forth. I like Hunter Harvey in relief. Um, they have some other young bullpen arms, Mason Thompson, Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards. They all had pretty decent 2022 seasons, names that you may have heard of from the past, but they're kind of all coming together in, in, in the Nationals bullpen that's trying to figure out what works. I, I think the Nationals, again, may not light the world on fire in the standings, but by the end of the season, we may be saying that Washington has a, a nice pitching for uh, pitching core that they can kind of build from. High risk, high reward pick from Shaq. I like yeah. it. If yeah, gonna, from, the, from the top rope, Shaq. I like it. Definitely. If you're going to go big, why not go with something that you could be totally off on and uh, n- no one really calls you out on? So I'll go I'll go with Washington Nationals there. Well, people were probably if – if you said that about the Orioles last year, people might have laughed at you and they had a good year. For sure. So we'll go with surprise picks to something that – Probably will be chalk talk at this moment. Uh, Cy Young pick. So guys, we've already reached that portion of the show. Who will be your Cy Young award winner in the national and the American league this season? Well, I'm not going to go too far out on a reach here on the national league. I'm going to pick Sandy, you know, uh, uh, Alcantara. Uh, He's an easy pick. Everybody's favorite. Uh, just uh, everything about him, I love the, his personality, his presence on the mound, his obvious stuff. He wants it, his desire, the year he's coming off of. 
he's probably going to lead the league at innings pitched again. To me, it's one of the most important categories in today's game. So very few starters can throw 200 innings anymore. The residual effect that has on the entire staff and the bullpen in, in particular is is bad more than you think it is. Uh, so, yes, it's Sandy. Sandy in the National League and actually in the American League, I think you know, it's a safe pick and maybe a little bit of a homer pick. Uh, but you know, I, I think that Garrett Cole is going to have a bounce back year in terms of keeping the ball in the ballpark. The, the home run, you know, even though he, he had a great strikeout year, he did what he normally does. His war, his overall numbers were down, I think, in, in, in large part due to the home run ball that he gave up last year. Uh, we've heard about Meredith Wills and her, the versions of baseballs that were used in Yankee Stadium last year. Potentially the ball that flies was more in, in, the, in Yankee Stadium last year than some of the other baseballs. That's, if you believe in conspiracy theories, I mean, she has pretty good data to back that up. So I, I, lo- I love Meredith Wills. She's talked about the different types of baseballs. I think, you know, I don't know if that had an impact on Aaron Judge and his home run total overall, but it could, if it's true, it could have had an impact on the home runs Garrett Cole gave up too overall. So I think he's going to bounce back, keep the ball in the ballpark more often, and he's still going to be a strikeout machine. He's still going to throw 200 innings. I think the two preemptive horses in the game, durable horses, you don't worry about these guys. You don't worry about injuries. You book 200 strikeouts. You book 200 innings. It's Sandy and it's Garrett. Can't go wrong with either of those picks. Sandy would be the first back-to-back winner since Jacob deGrom in 2018 and 19. And Cole, you have the baseline of innings and you know the the quantity is going to be there and it's always going to be quality. Last year's bad year was still a three and a half ERA and there was some home runs per fly ball uh, funniness there. And so even if, you know, that balances out a little bit, that ERA should jump down. I'll push back on the Aaron judge thing though. His shortest home run of last season out of the 62 were was 355 feet. So he didn't have any wall scrapers there going to my side picks. I'm going to go with Dylan cease in the American league. He made a great run uh, going for the side last year. I think he gets over the top this year. He was second in the voting last year behind uh, oh, Justin Verlander. And um, he had a 6.4 war, which on baseball reference was actually higher than Verlander, 184 innings, 227 strikeouts, and a 220 ERA. He made 32 starts. He posted every game. I think he's going to be a rock for the White Sox. And in the National League, I'm going to go with Aaron Nola. Um, Aaron Judge cashed in after betting on himself. I think Aaron Nola does the same and has a big year. For the Phils, he's been in the Cy Young balloting a few times over these last few years. He was third in 2018, but Jacob deGrom had an unbelievable year. He got Cy Young votes in 2020. He was fourth last season, a 205-inning year, 3.25 ERA. He was fourth for the Cy. I say he gets over the hump this year and that it's Cease and Nola for my Cy Young picks. I like him. And I'm going to stay in the NL East with, with my Cy Young pick. I'm going Max Free to the Braves. Uh, I think he's continuing to build a fascinating contract case and adding to this narrative between he and the Braves. And I think this season uh, will add on to that. I think he has all the tools to do it, gives up the soft contact, seems to be the, the leader for a very talented staff like we discussed earlier. I think he could crack 200 innings for the first time this season. The trajectory continues to move in that direction. He's my pick in the National League this year. And I'm with David here. 
Garrett Cole, if not now, when, right? Like, are we really going to see Garrett Cole not win a Cy Young? I don't think so. Um, I, I love the desire to be great. You could say that about, about a lot of pitchers. So maybe there's some bias here because you see it up close in New York with what we do. Strikeout machine, eats innings. I think it all revolves around what David was talking about. If he can minimize damage on the home runs allowed, I think he will be right there in the end. But we all have our NL picks coming out of the Eastern Division. Like, would we? Uh, would you, would you guys bet your hard-earned cash that the Cy Young Award pick would come out of the NL East, or like, if you had to take the NL East or the field, which way are you going? I would probably take the field on that. You know, j- just because. You know, I once again, I think that the the um, the scheduling is going to make a difference, especially down the stretch. So, uh, yeah, it's the, whoever whoever's in the NL West, you, you know, there's going to be less games against each other. So, yeah, whether that's you know Arias, who I think has a chance to you know that he he would be a guy I would really follow uh, because he. Just to his track record, how tough he is, his presence on the mound. There's something about Julio Arias with the Dodgers. It might be his time. He's now the number one guy, opening day starter. Yeah, I, I would take the field on that. Good question, Shaq. But you know what? I know the the the, the prudent thing to do would be to take the field because it's the field. But as far as uh, getting value for one division, so you're saying, so I get Jacob, uh, I get Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, from the Mets. I get Max Fried and Spencer Strider from the Braves. I get Sandy. I get Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola from the Phillies. Sign me up. Yeah. Nine pitchers right off the bat that you can make an argument who have a legit case to win the signing award yeah. this season. I'll, uh, I'll go with the East for sure. I'll pin my bet against the NL East. Um, we're going to our... change, change my vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, when James like rattles them off like that, yeah. right off the top of your head, if, Seems like it's easy. Definitely a lot di- more difficult, but yeah, I, I think it has the most uh, talented crop of starting pitching out of any division in baseball, the NL East. We'll, we'll make our World Series picks in a, in a few moments. Let's move over to some Yankee chatter here because there is a big shift, in my opinion, that happened over the weekend. You could call it a new era, call it whatever you want, but Anthony Volpe's addition to the opening day lineup was was made official. The Yankees added him, and he's going to be the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees on 2023 opening day. I'm wondering here, is this a, a special? Is it like an isolated case involving a really talented player? Or is this an example of how some of the new CBA incentives, like you were talking about in past episodes, David, are are influencing teams like the Yankees and how they could possibly operate with their young blue chip prospects moving forward. Well, Anthony Volpe is not the only example. Jordan Walker with St. Louis is another example in the exact same boat. So, and, and St. Louis had viable alternatives in their outfield. It wasn't like they were short on outfield depth. So they certainly felt like he broke through. Like like Anthony Volpe broke through. They they had the Yankees. Both teams had alternatives. So with that being said, how much value do you place on a compensation pick, a draft pick, at the end of the first round? Now, the last time I not the last time, but one of the most important compensation picks the Yankees ever got was when Nick Swisher was a free agent, and the Yankees got an end of the first round pick, and they got Aaron Judge out of that pick. So 
Draft picks have gone up in value over the last two decades. Organizations value them so much more now. So what is that value? So you get not only do you get Anthony Volpe, who who would be something that you need, obviously, on your team, and his all-around talent is what broke him through, the all-around ball player that he he brings to the table. But at the end of the day, Anthony Volpe finishes in the top three of the rookie of the year voting. Huge plus, huge feather in the cap for the Yankees. And oh, yeah, by the way, he's going to bring back an end of the first round pick for you. So they, that's kind of enticing, I think. You know, and it, it did it sway the Yankees? Only Brian Cashman can ask that. It's not nothing, <laughs> that's for sure. It's something. It, I think it matters. And so far, so good on service manipulation and the new rules in the CBA. We'll see how it goes on down the road. We're going to need a much bigger sample size, but two pretty good examples this year. It's another tool in the toolbox, as Cash might say. If you know, credit to to the Cards and Yanks for doing this. Uh, I, I guess it'll take a few years to really get a grip on, you know, is this a trend throughout the game? Are these isolated incidents? We'll see. But hats off to Volpe for making the team. I, I got egg on my face. I was preaching patience all spring, and he just grabbed that shortstop job right out of Oswald Peraza's hands. So good for Volpe, good for the Yankees. He could provide a spark right out of the gate here in April. But as far as, you know, rookie of the year possibilities, it's, it's not just about April. So whether, you know, Adley Rutschman, he, in most years, he's rookie of the year. He didn't come up till May. Julio Rodriguez, the actual AL rookie of the year, had a very rough introduction uh, last April. He had a 205 average, a 544 OPS, and a strikeout rate just under 40% in the first month of the season. And then he took off. So I preach patience in spring as far as, you know, Volpe's development and the possibility of him starting in triple I'm going to preach patience to the fan base where don't freak out. If he's not a superstar right out of the gate, it's a long season. Yeah. I was with you wrong as well. I thought, uh, I thought some extra seasoning at triple A would only help Anthony Volpe. But as far as this question goes, I think it definitely influences teams. And I, I tell you what, I was more on the fence before this morning, there is an awesome article in the New York Post from Ian O'Connor, talking about uh, a, a sit-down dinner that the Volpe family had with Jim Hendry, who's a special advisor to Brian Cashman, former Cubs GM, happened before they drafted him. And I can't help but think if Anthony Volpe has the year that a lot of Yankee fans are hoping for, where he is finishing in the top three rookie of the year and the Yankees do get that late first round draft pick. This allows a team like the Yankees who doesn't pick at the top of the draft board very often to sort of go out and find that other Anthony Volpe, meaning of a, a top flight amateur talent who may have his sights set on going to college. They have that chance to pick that player, take the risk and kind of convey them, in this case, it, it mattered a lot to Anthony Volpe, Jersey kid, grew up in a Yankee fan family. Jim Hendry's message to him at that point when he was a high school senior was like, look, if you go to college, this is pretty much your only chance of becoming a Yankee. So if that matters to you, when you go to Vanderbilt and you excel and in three years, you're going to be in a situation and in a place on a draft board where we're not going to be able to touch because we're not picking that high. So obviously it's, it's a unique circumstance, but you can 
convey to a talent, look, if if you want to be with us, if th- that matters to you at all, the time's now because we're not going to be in a position to be able to draft you later. We can give you the money you want now as a first round talent, but this is probably your only opportunity to do so. And I think that does carry weight with an organization like the Yankees. It may, it may carry weight with some of the other premier franchises as well, but I I do think it influences teams like the Yankees, maybe like the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Braves, where they're picking potentially low at the draft board and you can sit down with that premier talent and let them know like, Hey, this is what the deal is. And it allows them to kind of cycle through that system again, pick another Anthony Volpe per se. I'm glad you brought that up, Shaq, because that was a great article. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But it just shows you the value of somebody like a Jim Hendry behind the scenes that Brian Cashman, who I've said on here before, who his claim, you know, his the thing he told me a couple of years ago was that he feels like he hires very well, surrounds himself with the best people he can find. We saw it this last offseason with Brian Sabian and uh, you know others along the way too as well. Some baseball people, lifers. Jim Hendry's uh, one of those guys. Omar Manaya in that category as well. Jim Hendry was a college coach at Creighton. He was a he's a baseball guy, right? And so it, that it's a situation where you you know the Yankees. The perception of the Yankees behind the scenes is that they're very analytically driven and. They're the team that's the department that's driving the bus. And yeah, they have a great analytics department. I've learned a lot from talking to those guys. I think they're fantastic, but they have great baseball people too. Tim Nairing, uh, Jim Henry, right at the top of the list, credibility wise to have that conversation as a coach of college at Creighton university to give the college experience that was pointed out in that article. And then obviously pointing out to Anthony Volpe, Hey, this is your chance to be a Yankee. How important is that to you? And a very honest direct approach uh the really great article behind the scenes jim henry deserves a lot of credit well said guys and i just i'm I'm glad you said that because i hate the straw man about you know oh everyone mocks the yankees and analytics as if they're the only team that uses it all 30 teams do this and all 30 teams have scouting departments the whole analytics versus scouts war is just garbage from 20 years ago. That stuff is over. So let's all move on and not mock analytics as if the Yankees are trying to reinvent the wheel here. And I know it's early in the season, obviously. I think the Anthony Volpe news may have blanketed the biggest concern for this Yankees team at the end of spring training. And as we begin opening day, and we touched on it earlier in the episode, there are massive injuries to the the starting rotation, whether or not they're going to be Long injuries or short injuries, right now, the pitching rotation is not what everyone mapped it out to be in the winter or at the very start of spring training. So I want to ask you guys this, and I want to ask Dan Rourke this as well from a fan's perspective, because I saw him not worried one bit when some of these injuries came about. Is it more or less concerning that the starting pitching depth will be tested at the very start of the season? What do you guys think? I'll defer to our resident Yankee fan. Dan, what do you think? Give us some emotion. Yes. Yeah, so I know some people consider me to be like the most optimistic Yankee fan of all time. I just think I'm being rational. And some of these takes uh, from people in the community that I love and respect dearly, but I I wonder if they've ever watched a baseball season before. Because this is something I I expect to happen. You're going to use, what, eight, nine, ten pitchers, starting pitchers in a year. And the Sebi concern I get, me personally, I'm kind of – I don't want to say I'm out on him, but – 
I have kind of changed my stance of, you know, injury every single year. Maybe I don't want to sign him long-term. However, as for the anchor rotation right now this year, Rodon is already throwing a 30-pitch bullpen. He's expected to be back in two weeks. So I don't look at it as the end of the world when you're going to have essentially in April, three of the top 10, top 10, top 15-ish starting pitch in the American League pitching, pitching for you in Cole, Nestor, and Rodon. Clark and Domingo, we were expecting, at least once the Montas news happened, that he'd probably be a factor, or they'd be a factor no matter what. And Johnny Brito, I understand he's not flashy. doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but nasty changeup. Ground ball rate is insane. He had a pretty damn good spring, like I think a two ERA, five and a third, no hit innings against the Blue Jays. And also in the minor leagues last year, he was he was good. Two, nine, six ERA in like 26 starts between triple and double A. And all that, we probably just have to get by with a month for him. So even if he isn't all that good, it's only, what, four or five starts maybe? And then worst case scenario, if Seve doesn't come back, which is still possible, you know, end of April, who knows? You can always upgrade at the deadline. I still think the Yankees are more than good enough to win the AL East. That has kind of been my sentiment this whole time is good enough to get by until the deadline, and that's where you get the piece to, to get you over the hump of the Astros. And I don't think, you know, having a couple of young pitchers make a couple starts in April is going to change that. So that's where I'm at with it. I like it. Uh, you know, the, the, the voice of reason. Wow. I, I out know. of nowhere. Yes. I like it. Um, no, they'll be tested. You know, the, the, there is no doubt that the Yankees have had a run of bad luck or what to call it, whatever you want. Going back to the Montas trade, a lot of their depth, their young pitching depth was traded away. Hayden Wesneski looked really good in, at the end of the, the Cubs rotation, made it out of spring training. He'd be a nice guy to have back. And uh, Ken Waldachuk out in Oakland, JP Sears, they lost three potential starters to trades that haven't worked out. So th that stings. There's no doubt about it. I mean, nobody's got a crystal ball. You, you, the Yankees make the best decisions you can at the time, trying to go for it, trying to win. Players came back, they got hurt, or they were hurt, or whatever. Maybe you, maybe you, you go back and quality check your your process in that point. What, 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 how do we make these decisions? That's valid. But with that being said. Yankees are short. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. The Johnny Brito is, is kind of it. Randy Vasquez uh, looked pretty good, too, in spring training. I'm not sure if he's quite ready. He's next in line. Beyond that, you're on the scrap heap. So you're you're down to really six starters, viable starters right now that are on the roster that you could call somebody up right now. And Randy Vas Vasquez is the next one in line that's on the roster. So, yes, they're looking for guys without a doubt. And uh, the next in line, you know, if you're in the Yankee system, opportunity's knocking right now. You're the next kid in line. You pitched in double A last year. Hey, you're knocking on the door already. And that, that's kind of rare for the Yankees. The Yankees aren't known to be that kind of organization. So there's no two ways about it. The Yankees are short right now. Dan's right. Carlos Rodon's on the way back. Hopefully, Sevy is too. But the in the depth department, it's a, it's a, little, a little worrisome right now. And that can be rectified at the trade deadline. Yankees have pieces to trade. They have great prospects. So, I will definitely recognize the depth is an, yeah. is an issue for sure. So if you have, say, one more injury happen, which, you know, baseball, it probably will, then kind of in some trouble. But just looking at the yeah. starting five of right now, Cole, Schmidt, Nestor, Herman, Brito, I don't think that's like something to where it's going to cause a season to, to fall into the cellar. Like some right. fans are, are kind of putting it out there. We do. I recognize that definitely need some some depth, though, for sure. It is more concerning that they're being tested already because there's 162 games left rather than 40 or 80 or 100. That said, these are hopefully shorter term. It's not like Rod Rodone is out for the season right now. So just a little take a step back. The 
rotation on March 29th or April 8th is not what the rotation is on May 1st or later in the season or in October. So patience, and it's a long season. If Rodon makes 24 starts instead of 32, not a big deal. If Severino, he was just fine last year making 19 starts. The hope was that he was going to make a few more. If he makes 19 again, he's very good on a pitch for pitch basis. So a little uh, slow the roll a little bit as far as panic for the Yankees right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a mix of both for me. I think you you don't want to to start off the season on an, an, an unhealthy note like this. Uh, we saw what being healthy did for this team last year. They were off to a, a terrific start. They drew comparisons to 1998. All that had to do largely with them being healthy. I, I do not think it's the end of the world, though, because it seems like a lot of these injuries are are short term. But in the case of Luis Severino, and I know it's a different area in the lat, but the lat issue continues to pop up and Dan you kind of mentioned it right when you came on with with Severino I don't want to say people are over him so to speak but this is another reason why you may have to question whether or not Luis Severino's long-term value lies within the starting rotation should the bullpen be something that could be in Severino's future the valid point, I think the question is, is that because they, they need the starters is the problem. So even if you wanted to and say, you know what, Severino's at this point with the injury history might be better suited for the bullpen, but you don't have the backup right now. You need him to be a starter. Um, you know, one wild card to follow in the Yankees minor league system, former top prospect, David Garcia, actually looked pretty good in spring training. I'm not sure what his future holds, whether he's more of a a reliever, multi-inning reliever guy, or if he can re reignite his starting rotation prospects or not. But he's a little bit of a wild card for the Yankees. But with respect to Severino, yeah, if he had more depth, if, if the Yankees get healthy again all of a sudden, or if they make a trade to add to their depth, then maybe down the stretch run, Severino could be a wild card in the bullpen. It's a valid question. I think it's too soon for that, but it is something you could think about down the line. I think he's still far too valuable as a starter at this point. What do you think, Dan? Um, I, I think if the bullpen, I'm not concerned about the bullpen, even with the injuries. If it were like that was an area of need and also the pitching was an area of strength, then I think it might make a little more sense. But while I said all that about not being concerned about the rotation, just how I feel about Severino, when he comes back, like having him in the rotation, if he's healthy, then you kind of ascend to like a, an even better tier of being like one of the top teams in the American League if he's healthy. So I'm on, I don't know like the, medical side of all this stuff so I don't really want to comment on it me as a fan what I want to see if he's healthy I want to see him in the rotation yeah I love the energy he brings as a starter uh, for his own well-being I don't know if we've reached that point yet probably say we haven't but um, perhaps his future long term lies in the bullpen he definitely would be fired too remember that one year in like his second yeah. year in 2016 where he struggled as a starter and they ended up putting out the pen he was money so I think he would mm -hmm. definitely be good yeah all right, before we get to our World Series picks, one last Yankee item, and I want to hear from each of you here. The main thing that you are watching, uh, the main thing you're watching for with the, the 2023 New York Yankees will be what? Well, I, you know, there's there's some players that they're looking to bounce back. Obviously, you look at third base, which Josh Donaldson do. You know, uh, the shortstop situation, you know, Volpe kind of answered the question. You know, they're going to go with him out of the gate. Um, 
does Glaber get off to a good start? Does he become a trade prospect at, at, at the halfway point or not? Um, but to me, it still comes down to the outfield. How does the outfield shake out? You know, there's still a lot of the, the biggest uncertainty other than the starting rotation and the depth is the outfield position. Is Aaron Judge going to play center now again? Is he going to play left field? How much can Stanton play in right? Does Aaron Hicks bounce back? Is Oswaldo Cabrera a true left fielder? Do the, is Brian Reynolds still a potential trade at the deadline? Who's involved in that? How, what, what do you got to give up? Do you got to give up a Jason Dominguez to, to, to get an outfielder like a Brian Reynolds? To me, how the outfield shakes out, you know, including Harrison Bader and his health coming back to me is the biggest question mark for the Yankees is what's the best outfield and what's it going to look like and when are they going to get to it? Boring answer from Smythe coming, but health, health, health. Every aspect of the team, starting pitching, what are you going to get out of Rodon and Severino? Bullpen, how does Michael King bounce back? Where, when does someone like Lou Trevino enter the fray? Infield, how healthy is DJ LeMahieu? Outfield, when does Bader get back? How many games can Giancarlo Stanton play in the outfield? All encompassing the roster that the Yankees have is a championship caliber team. Can they actually be playing at the same time for the most part to get that? Um, I'm going to go with not just Volpe generically, but with him, Swaldo Cabrera, the, the added youth energy and the speed. There was a clip the other day that I'm not sure if you guys caught the game on Monday. It was Volpe on second, Rizzo at the dish, where you just see Volpe hopping off, dancing around. You see the pitcher looking back and forth at him. And it, it makes me think all the time of uh, – the Jackie Robinson scene in the, the 42 movie where he's bouncing off third base, pitcher's getting distracted. He ends up balking, but Jackie scores, of course. And the lady goes, well, what happened? And the, the kid goes, he discombobulated the man. And I think we're going to see a lot of that from Volpe this year to where like the pressure he has on the base paths could be pretty like an ex, a more exciting brand uh, Yankee baseball. Same with as well. The Cabrera, obviously, you know, he's not like as fast as Volpe or anything like that. Just the overall like different style of play we might see having these guys in there. So that's what, that's what I'm going to go with. Kind of generic, I know, but that, that specifically. No, I like, I it. like I, it. I think he's, he could be the only player who can deliver those skills at, at that level. So I think it's very important there. And from a macro perspective in all of MLB, how, how high is the stolen base rate going to be? How many more attempts per game are we going to see teams try? And Volpe's a part of that on the Yankee side. Mm-hmm. And how many at-bats Oswaldo Cabrera gets under the radar, great spring training, got some pop, especially at Yankee Stadium, that left-handed bat. It'll be really interesting to see where he, how he shakes out because he can play everywhere. He's, he wants to catch next. He's just, just a, a, a remarkable young kid. He, he's my favorite by far, just his personality, the way he handles himself. Everybody loves him. How many at-bats can he get? And, and what does he do with that? And how's Aaron Boone handle Oswaldo Cabrera? Really interesting. One more thing on Waller that's interesting, too, is Boone said he considers him still an infielder. So I'm wondering, who is the backup shortstop on the day Volpe gets off? Is it yeah. is it Waldo? And, you know, as we speak right now, IKF still on the roster. So I'm kind of – I'm just curious how, how that could work out, too, you know? Yeah. Good point. Uh, for me, I am going to be hyper-focused on every time Garrett Cole or Carlos Rodon – takes the mound they are billed as two of the best strike throwers strikeout artists in the game I think it was massive that the Yankees backed Cole up with a talent like Carlos Rodon I am going to be fascinated by watching them and seeing if they can deliver to that level that everyone's expecting of them the entire season where they are going to be 
uh, at the end of the season, heading into the postseason. So those are the the two players and the biggest thing I'm watching out for. And to answer the outfield question, I'm going to make a bold statement here, David, because you mentioned outfield very uh, is, is a question mark for you. I think on October 1st in Kansas City, final regular season game, you're going to see Jason Dominguez and Anthony Volpe in the same lineup for the New York Yankees. As a September call up, Dominguez, or do you think he gets up sooner? Oof. Oh, haven't he, thought that it, deep. But yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, I mean, you think he's the answer though in I left do. field this I year? Do. Yeah, at some point. At I, some I, point this year. It's interesting. All eyes are on him right now. They definitely are, and we've seen guys jump from Double A to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. So you know, Anthony Volpe is essentially doing that. Jordan Walker is essentially doing that. We've seen it in the past. So I saw a couple of young pitchers for the Royals do that. Brett Saberhagen and Mark Gubaza in 1984 did that. The next year they won the World Series. So you can jump from double A to the big leagues. So Dominguez could certainly do that. All right, we've reached the end here. World Series picks. Have to make them. I mean, we're a podcast. We we talk about sports. What are we at the beginning of a season without a World Series prediction? Uh, Dan, what do you have? Make my pick and then get out of here, Yankees. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, is that I'm a big believer that you gotta, you gotta, you gotta beat the champion. You gotta knock out the champ, and it's Houston is still the champ. And that they say what you want about the history of the Astros, everything that's gone on there, all the controversy, they've backed it up. You know, they they looked looked the the demon right in the face. Uh, they whether you think they handled all, all that stuff in 2017 well or not in 2019. That's a great core group of players and missing Altuve for the first two months is a big hit for them, you know, with his broken thumb from the WBC, but he will be back. Erlander's a bigger loss than you think it is. I, I believe, uh, even though they have a tremendous depth in their pitching, but until you beat Houston in the American league, they're the team to beat. And in the national league, I think this is the year that the Padres break through. So right now for me, until the Yankees prove they can beat the Astros, it's Houston and the Padres in the World Series. Who wins that one? Wow, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Padres. First time title for San Diego. I think the Yankees with a Cole, Radon, Cortez, Severino, Quartet would be their best postseason rotation in ages. I'm going with the Yankees over the Padres in six games. Party like it's 1998, Coney. Nice. All right. Commemorate the 25th anniversary right there for, for 1998. I was very tempted to do the same, uh, but I'm going with Yankees and Braves. And if I'm going to be objective at this moment in time, right now, I will say that the Braves win it. But please prove me wrong. I welcome that. I, I, I want to be wrong here in this pick, but uh, I, I think – again, Volpe adds a different dimension to the Yankee lineup. What have we been saying the last few seasons? Things need to change for the Yankees offense, come, especially come October, to, to try and get over the hump. I think this provides that uh, little bit of change. I think you see bounce backs from uh, a couple of faces. And like I said a few minutes ago, I think Jason Dominguez some way, somehow makes his way onto this team and and adds another wrinkle to the, the youthfulness within the Yankees offense. I think the pitching has been extraordinary the last two years. I think it continues. They find a way to to be very good. And I think they do get over the hump here. But 
uh, the Braves as constituted for me. It's it's a sixth straight National League East title. They win the pennant, and I think they'll have a little bit more pitching. Pretty fitting here on a pitching podcast that we end like this. I think they'll have a little bit more pitching uh, over the over the Yankees in the fall classic. But like I said, prove me wrong. Uh, guys, happy opening day to you. We'll see each other at the ballpark uh, to start in, in the Bronx. And uh, away we go here. This is going to be great. It's here. All right, that's going to do it here for Bring this your episode. coat. Bring yes. your coat to the Bronx tomorrow. <laughs> and then bring your raincoat on Saturday. <laughs> yes. Uh, quick reminder, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you do not miss whatever we are streaming each and every week. That's going to do it for this episode. For David Cohn, for James Smythe, for our outstanding producer, Dan Work. this is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Happy opening day. <laughs>